off mute. That works better, doesn't it? <laughs> Good evening, Resurrected. What a joy to be together on this Wednesday to study God's Word together. I greet you all in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to begin our time together gathered before the throne of grace in prayer before our holy God because we are always in need of him. I want to dive right into prayer requests uh, that have been sent to me today and I mentioned some others as well. Let's be in prayer for Brother Jeffrey Menifee. He was scheduled to go to Siskin today for rehab, but still having blood pressure problems. And we need to pray and ask God's grace on his body in regards to his blood pressure. Let's continue in prayer for Sister Elysia Worsham and her brother Tyrone. As we know, Mother Worsham was uh, funeralized on Monday. The Lord blessed. But the days afterwards are, are the difficult days. So pray for Sister Elysia and Tyrone. Pray for Sister Joanne Jacks, her uncle passed away just a few hours ago, actually. His name is Joseph Cook uh, from uh, Gasconia, North Carolina. And his uh, son, Clifford, lives in Atlanta. His only son. Please be in prayer for our sister. And because this was his uncle, it's like a father to her. And only one child, Clifford, pray for this family as they prepare. Please pray for, um, this is from Deacon Dunny Pass, a uh, gentleman by the name of Bill, who is uh, a dialysis patient. He's having surgery on his foot for poor circulation. circulation. We know that, that uh, it's very serious uh, in light of his condition. Pray for Bill and his family. Sister Beverly Armour sent this prayer request. Um, her co-worker's three-year-old daughter was badly burned, second-degree burns. Please be in prayer for this little baby, three years old, and the parents and family as well as they march through this together. Uh, my great friend and brother, uh, Pastor Kevin Smith, his dear aunt, Sherry Braswell, passed away, uh, coronavirus. Um, pray for her grandson uh, as well, who is a new widow as, as well. Sister Rosalind Higman, this is prayer request from her. Pray for the, 
the unity of the body of Christ. Pray for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth during this pandemic. And pray for the salvation for her brother, uh, Leroy. In, in addition to those uh, requests, let's be in prayer together for our country. Pray for our president. Pray for all of those who are in leadership, as the Lord instructs us to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray tough decisions are having to be made, decisions that are not easy, and they're trying to decide what is best for a country, what is best for each city at the mayor's level, level uh, each state at the governor level, trying to decide what is best, and instead of criticizing, let's pray. Let's pray. Instead of criticizing decisions, let's pray for them as God has instructed us to do. Resurrected, we uh, need to be in prayer for one another as we prepare now to hear the word of God. Let's pray for the sanctification uh, through by the Spirit through the ministry uh, of God's Word to us this evening. And you will learn much. I, I still will not be able to finish this text uh, this evening. And I do understand uh, something of what God is doing in, uh, in the life of our church through uh, this text prayed as we are preparing to open back up. I want to spend just a moment or so speaking of that uh, as a prayer request uh, as well, but uh, we are planning to open back up. We have not set a date uh, as of yet, um, but as we plan to open back up, we are uh, reading and uh, guidelines set by the governor as well as the uh, mayor in terms of what needs to be done for our building and how we need to uh, still be able to practice social distancing. So we're thinking through what service will look like as we open back up, but we, we assure you that um, the worship of the King is the priority and uh, as well as your safety um, as we prepare to uh, come back together. We cannot just open the doors. We are, we are, understand we will not just open the doors. We will um, be very careful and handle this very uh, gently as well. And you'll hear more about that, but, but pray as we prepare to do that. Pray that God will give uh, the leadership here wisdom as we uh, seek wisdom uh, from our governor, from our mayor, uh, as well as from others that we uh, are that, that are studying what needs to be done, uh, we're reading uh, material from others as well. And please also be in prayer for um, 
my younger sister for her salvation. Uh, her health is continuing to decline. Please continue in prayer for her. Continue in prayer for Sister Brenda Jones' mother, uh, as well as um, uh, the families of, I think, her uncle and cousin. Um, Sister Brenda Lowe had death in her family as well, and also Brother Herman Carter. Prayers for opportunities in the midst of this pandemic to go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I will lead us in prayer, but I urge you and exhort you to pray together. Let's pray together. You've heard the prayer requests. You may have other requests that are silent um, requests. But let's go to the throne of grace together. We may find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And remember to pray for those who are suffering under uh, this COVID-19, this coronavirus. Pray for them. Uh, for God's grace and mercy, um, and that everything will bring us to the feet of Jesus. Everything that is happening will bring us to the feet of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, seek his grace um, at this time. Heavenly Father, we come as the body of Christ seeking grace to help us in our time of need. We see our vulnerability as a country. We've been brought to our knees. There is no hope to be found anywhere except in Christ alone. We come, Heavenly Father. We come as the body of Christ confessing that we have not loved you and honored you with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Have mercy upon us. Forgive us, dear God. Forgive us for our failure to witness. Forgive us for our failure to take the gathering together of the saints more seriously. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for not cherishing and loving our families the way we should cherish and love our families and sometimes so busy doing other things to the neglect of our own families, and now you have thrown us together. Forgive us, dear God. Cleanse our hearts from unrighteousness. Grant us grace to repent and not just ask for forgiveness, but to truly repent and to truly live Christ-centered lives in dependence upon the Spirit. We lift up Brother Jeffrey Menifee before you. 
Oh, have mercy upon our dear brother. I pray, Father, that you would bring his blood pressure down to normal. You can do what medicine can't do. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would hear us today, that you would hear us right now, that you would touch him right now, that before the day ends, his blood pressure will be brought down. I ask for that mercy. I pray for Sister Anita. I know her desire, her longing, along with her precious children, their longing is to be with their dad and with her husband. I pray that you would give her grace to persevere and to know and be forever mindful that as long as you're there, he's still in good hands. I pray for Sister Alicia Worsham and her brother Tyrone. I pray, Heavenly Father, as they now began to live their lives without their mother here on earth, without being able to go into the room and know that she's there. I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give them peace. I pray that you would give them comfort, and I pray that they would live in the hope that Mother Worsham had as well in Jesus Christ. I pray for Sister Joanne Jackson. I pray for Clifford, the son of her uncle, Joseph Cook, and all the family as they now have to make preparations. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be merciful to them. I pray that you would give wisdom. I pray that you would give unity of heart and mind, and I pray that you would enable them to persevere in the midst of death. Give them peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray for Bill, friend of Brother Danny Pass, Heavenly Father, having surgery on, on his foot for poor circulation. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with him, that you would direct and that you would guide, that you would give wisdom to the doctors as they perform this surgery. May his heart look to you in gratitude and may he be brought to the feet of Christ. I pray for the three-year-old, the co-worker's three-year-old of Sister Beverly Armour, Heavenly Father, badly burned, second-degree burns. Oh, my Father, I pray that you would please put your hand on every spot. Put your hand on this child's body and have mercy, dear God. I pray for your healing hand. I pray for the parents and the family, Lord, as they see this suffering. I pray that you would give them hope. I pray that you would give them endurance. I pray that they would be brought to Christ. I pray for a friend and brother, Pastor Kevin Smith, the grandson of his Aunt Sherry Braswell. I pray, Heavenly Father, for this grandson and my friend and all of his family during this time of bereavement. I pray that you would give this 
grandson strength and hope and comfort and even joy in the midst of this. I pray, Heavenly Father, as Pastor Smith leads and shepherds his family, Father God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that as he goes to them and with the gospel, I pray, dear God, that you would give them ears and hearts to hear and give my brother the words to say, the endurance to shepherd his family. I pray, Father God, for unity in the body of Christ. I thank you for that request, Father, because I will open up our study this evening speaking of what true unity really is. I pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to be maintained, that we would be eager to maintain that. Lord, I pray for the furtherance of the gospel. And I thank you, Father, for what you are doing to that end. As I listen to the preaching of the gospel on Sunday, Heavenly Father, through our dearly beloved Elder Eves and 400 plus listeners, we do not have that many members of this church, Father. So you're already spreading the gospel. I pray that it will spread through every church, even by way of live stream, every church that's truly preaching the gospel. And I pray that the true preaching of the gospel would cause others to turn their ears away from those so-called churches that are not preaching the gospel. I pray that the truth would, would, would put into their hearts a detesting for the false a hatred for the false gospel. I pray for the salvation of Leroy. Have mercy upon him, Heavenly Father. He has heard the gospel, I'm sure, through his sister time and time again, and your providence has brought him this way. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would turn it up into his heart. Open his heart like you did Lydia. Knock him down like you did Saul, Heavenly Father, and bring him to the end of himself and save him by your grace. I pray for that grace for my sister uh, Tara as well. I pray for your saving grace, Heavenly Father. I pray for mercy upon her body, dear God. Lord, I pray for our president, I pray for the governors of each state, the mayors of each city and county. They, they seek to make very, very difficult decisions, trying to open the economy back up, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would give them wisdom I pray, Heavenly Father, that those who know you, I, I think of the governor of Tennessee as I joined in on a phone call with him a few weeks ago, and Heavenly Father, I think of how uh, all the pastors that were on the phone and how he clearly laid out the gospel to us, 
clearly laying out the gospel, understanding uh, the doctrine of sanctification and justification, Heavenly Father. Uh, I, I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that those who know you would seek wisdom from you, Lord, as they make these decisions. Give them wisdom, Father. I pray for those who are suffering under the coronavirus. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I pray for healing. I pray for their families, Lord, Lord God. I pray that all of this would bring us to Christ. Father, you have showed us clearly there's no hope in employment. There's no security there. There's no security in anything, in anyone else, except Christ alone. I pray that eyes will be open as we go forth with, with the gospel of Christ to see that great and glorious reality. You know, Heavenly Father, I pray for resurrected those you have given me the privilege of shepherding. Unite our hearts in Christ. Unite our minds in Christ. Unite our minds in your word. I pray for obedience to the gospel. I pray for trust and hope in Christ alone. I pray for a longing for the purpose that I will set forth here this evening. A purpose not just to come back together, but to come back together with purpose, godly purpose in mind. I pray for that grace. I pray that you would work that understanding into our hearts and we discipline ourselves unto godliness to pursue the truth to that end. Bless your servant this evening to teach your word and your word only. I need that grace. Granted, I pray. And Heavenly Father, Father, if there's anyone else that I may have forgotten or missed, remember each one of them. Thank you. Remember Sister Brenda Jones, her mother, her family, her mother especially, in her sickness. Have mercy upon her, dear God. Continue to put strength in my sister and her family as they walk through this together. Sister Brenda Lowe, remember her, her family, this time of bereavement. Give them peace and comfort in the days afterwards. Dear God, Brother Herman Carter, remember him as well and his family. Lord, have mercy upon, upon them. Remember my dear, dear brother, Elder Morris' son, as he is healing after surgery a few days ago, touch his body, continue to heal him. And my sister as well, continue to heal her. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, resurrected. We want to dive back into the word of, 
our Lord. And as with uh, last week, remember I do have my uh, phone for uh, questions you may have, and you're welcome to text me questions during uh, my teaching. I will wait, however, to answer them after uh, I finish, but you're welcome to text if you have questions uh, right then. Please feel free to text me uh, those questions, and we will try to uh, address them as best we can from the Word of God. I want to say again, uh, I was so blessed on Sunday um, through the preaching of my fellow uh, elder and fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for his unwavering commitment to preaching the gospel. And he preached, stirred our hearts as the Holy Spirit spoke through him out of Romans 6, uh, beginning at verse 19. And we saw uh, there as well the progression of the slave, the slave's expectation. We are to progress. Sanctification is progressive. And we are to be productive and fruitful, all the while relying, relying on the provision that is ours in, through, by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The expectations of a slave. Pray that that message would be brought home to our hearts more and more. Back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read it again, verses 19 through 25, and we will dive back into this theme that uh, I began addressing on, on last Wednesday. And, and that's the theme the community for stimulating faith, the community for stimulating faith. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The community for stimulating faith. The church's fellowship is profound. 
spiritual, and real. It is a shared common life that is absolutely essential. It is what our Lord prayed for in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where he repeatedly said, I pray that they may be one. Jesus was not praying for some kind of social oneness, but for a spiritual reality. That prayer was answered when the church was born. Jesus prayed that the Father would make his children one just as he and the Father are one. That is an amazing parallel. Stop to think about it for a moment. He prayed that the Father would make his children one just as he and the Father are one. We are one in the way that the Son, the Father, and the Spirit are one. That tells us, that, that speaks to this great truth. Trinitarian fellowship is actually the model for fellowship in the church. I'll say that again. Trinitarian fellowship is the model for fellowship in the church. A shared life, shared love, shared purpose, shared truth, and shared power. This is fellowship. Again, shared life, shared love, shared purpose, shared truth, and shared power. This is fellowship. And my brothers and sisters, as we think about coming back together physically as a church, as a community of believers, we need to come back with a more devoted heart to a shared life, shared love, shared purpose, shared truth, and shared power. True fellowship. We are not just coming back because we miss one another. That's good. But, but we, we want to think about as we come back, let's come back with God's purpose in mind and a deeper commitment to that purpose. Last week, as we began to think together about the community that stimulates for the community, excuse me, for stimulating faith, we saw first the basis for community. The basis for community. There is a basis for true community. And as we looked at that, we, we, we looked at First, the preeminence of Christ. The book of Hebrews is about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In all things, Christ must have the preeminence. 
We saw, secondly, as we looked at it, the privilege, the privilege of entry into God's presence. That is a privilege that every Christian has. No one has special privileges that others do not have. We all have the privilege, as we saw in verse 19, we all have the privilege of entry, access into God's holy presence. We saw, thirdly, verse 21, that great privilege that forms the basis of community is the possession of a great or the great high priest over the house of God. And we know that is Christ our Lord. So the basis for unity is found in Christ alone. Christ must have the preeminence. The basis for community is found in the fact that all can come before the throne of grace. We all have access, entry into God's presence. And we all possess the great high priest, the Lord and the Savior. Jesus the Christ. That's the only basis for true, for true community. The only basis for true community as God sees it, which is the only proper and right way to see it. This evening, I want to continue for not only do we need to see the basis for true community, I want us to see, secondly, the building blocks of community. The building blocks of community. And the building blocks of community began in verse 22, and actually runs through verse 25, uh, the Lord wills, I'll try to get through, through verse 23 <laughs> this evening. The building blocks of community. There are three essential building blocks in a community of biblical faith three essential building blocks of a community in a community of building faith. When we gather together as an assembly of Christ's followers, follow, uh, uh, excuse me, when we gather together as an assembly of Christ's followers, these building blocks must be present in order for God to be pleased with our worship and fellowship. I didn't say they should be present. I said they must be present. Building block number one, 
drawing near in worship. Drawing near in worship. This is important. Note verse 22, beloved. It's straight from the text. The point is, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I know I did this last week, but as I studied it more, the Holy Spirit led me to a more a deeper and more clear understanding as well. So I, w I want to go back over verse 22, not just go back over it, but teach it again. For God to be pleased, disciples must draw near to him in worship, which necessitates the meeting of four conditions. Believers must meet the first two demands. But Christ has already satisfied the latter two. Let's look first at the requirements we must meet. Now you, you do recall that this same summons to draw near introduced the section on the high priesthood of Christ at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let's look at it quickly here. I'll make reference to it again. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Then in chapter 5, he goes into the high priesthood of Christ our Lord. But in chapter 4, verse 16, uh, uh, he's referring to confident prayer for mercy and timely help, which is an expression of the new relationship between God and his people promised in the New Test Testament or the New Covenant. Now, beloved, at the conclusion of, of the central section of Hebrews, which began in chapter 5, verse 1, and running through chapter 10, verse 18, this continual approach to God in, includes, but is not specifically limited to, prayer. So, as an ongoing expression of the initial encounter with God in Christ, it includes every aspect of, of, of the believers drawing near to God, both individual and corporate. It is premised on an existing relationship with God. In salvation, we're brought, we're brought to Christ. That's when the drawing near begins in salvation. But it is, it is to be continual drawing near. 
we must first draw near. As the writer says back in Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart. A true, sincere, dependable heart. This is more than simple sincerity. It includes that, but it's more than that. Many religious people come to God in sincerity, but not in truth. See, God demands both. A true heart is a heart that evidences complete trust and devotion, which fulfills the promise of a new heart for God's people found in Jeremiah 31, 33, and Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36. That's the promise of a new heart. So this, this true heart is a biblical expression that suggests sincerity and loyalty. It stands in contrast to the evil, unbelieving heart that Hebrews speaks about in chapter 3, verse 12. Let's look there for just a moment. In Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. A true heart stands in contrast to an evil, unbelieving heart. My brothers and sisters, a true heart is every believer's responsibility when, when uh, gathering together with other believers as a church family. See, we, we, we need to think together about this. You heard me say at the, at the very beginning in, in our uh, uh, first meeting, Resurrected, when I called the church together to speak about how we would pro proceed, and I was encouraging you. You heard me say that the coronavirus and all of the trouble we're having, and on top of that we've had a tornado, and, and many have suffered, but all of this should bring us to the feet of Jesus. As we think about coming back together, we need to evaluate our lives and think about the past. When we came together, did I really seek to draw near and worship my brothers and sisters with a true heart? We need to make sure, we ought to make sure that we are each coming to our assembly with a true, genuine heart that has confronted our own 
hypocrisy and known sin. Even if conflict exists between us and another believer, we must take the initiative to make it right, even if it's on the way to corporate worship, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. See, that's a responsibility God lays upon each born-again believer. So a true heart... Is an, is an undivided heart. An undivided heart. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 24, 3 and 4. The psalmist asks, Who may ascend into the heel of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, a heart that is focused on Christ. A heart that is centered on Christ. A heart that is committed to loving Christ. Listen to 1 Chronicles 12.33. In that text, uh, it mentions 50,000 soldiers who drew up in battle array and helped David. And, and the text says, with an undivided heart, which means they were committed to following David. Love, a true heart is not divided between God and the world or God and someone else or God and something else. A true heart is a heart wholly dedicated to, to Christ alone in repentance. Remember, David prayed in Psalm 51, 6, Behold, you, God, desires truth in the innermost being. So true worship begins with truth in the inner in the inner man what's the number one what's the building block for community drawing near in worship how do we draw near in worship we draw near with a true heart and I encourage you I exhort you right now examine your heart Examine your heart to see if you're truly born again in light of what Scripture teaches about someone who is regenerated and truly saved, born of the Spirit. Examine your heart even if you are born again and, and ask, has my heart been true to God? Drawing near to God in worship. We draw near with a true heart. Secondly, we draw near with confident faith. A confident faith. It says that right here in verse 22 of Hebrews uh, 10, I'm not making it up. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This approach, true heart, is characterized as in full assurance of faith, which describes how the heart is to be true and sincere. <laughs> in full assurance of faith. 
It is a conviction or certainty of faith that is generated in believers as a result of Christ's work on our behalf. Since faith in, as you read Hebrews, since faith in Hebrews is often forward-looking, full assurance of faith is therefore parallel to full assurance of hope that we see in Hebrews 6.11. Let's look at that quickly and briefly here. We desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The first readers of the book of Hebrews were lacking assurance because of their waning faith. Consequently, growth was needed to increase the confidence in and assurance of their fellowship with God. In chapter 11, we read, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, to worship in faith is to come with a seeking heart that rests in the merits of Christ alone. Full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith rests in the merits of Christ alone. So you see, drawing near to God in worship contains conditions that every believer is responsible for meeting. We go out and we seek to make disciples. Though you disciple makers, which is every Christian, you have to guard your own heart. Guard your own heart as you prepare for public worship. But if you're discipling someone, you need to help those that you're discipling to deal honestly with sin and to grow to confident faith in Christ as you continue to help them to learn to think biblically and apply the gospel. Now, those are two conditions where God holds us responsible and accountable. But as always, God has given us all that we need to meet the conditions. Number one, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us a new heart. He's given us faith. He's given, given us his word. There are, there are two more conditions. But if you notice in verse 22, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I mean, excuse me, verse, if you notice in verse 22, that was 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
It sounds very clear to me, and I will make it clear as I teach, that the last two conditions have already been met by the atoning work of Christ. So let, let's look at number three. What's the first building block for, for, for drawing? What, what is the first building block for a community? The first building block is drawing near. How do we draw near? We draw near with a true heart, with confident faith. But thirdly, with a clean conscience. We can only come to God in sincerity of faith if our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Now, the basis for the appeal to draw near is a prior work of God in which the benefits of Christ's sacrifice was applied to the listeners in the past. The imagery of the sprinkling of the heart from a guilty conscience has already been anticipated back in Hebrews 9, verses 18 through 22. Let's look at that for just a moment here. Hebrews 9, 18 through 22. Therefore not, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water and scarlet wool and, and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And here we see that the listeners were, uh, were reminded of uh, 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 Moses sprinkling the people with blood at the inauguration of the first covenant at Sinai. Now, Christians have become participants in the new covenant by the blood of Christ. So the cleansing of believers' heart from a, a guilty conscience is associated then with Jesus' inauguration of the new covenant through his death. This is important. The definitive cleansing through Christ's sacrifice has removed the barrier of a guilty and tormented conscience that prevented uh, open and unhindered access to God. So then, with the promises of the new covenant being realized in the community, both individually and corporately, we are urged to approach God with great confidence. Follow me. That word sprinkled is in the passive voice. It speaks of the purging of the hearts of believers from an uh, uh, evil or guilty conscience. It is in the present tense which indicates a completed state or condition. It's already been done, continuing to have uh, impacting effects. In other words, Guilt has been dealt with in Christ. In Christ, the believer's conscience has already been cleansed of guilt. And when a sinner comes to Jesus and receives salvation, 
guilt is removed. Because Christ dealt with it on the cross. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8.1, this is why he could write this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the verse in its completion. No addition to it. That's the verse in its completion. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I know sometimes we as believers still experience guilty feelings over our past because we do not fully realize the extent of our cleansing. You know what we have to do? Jesus has dealt with guilt when he died at Calvary. He took it upon himself. He died in our place. He was our substitute. The not guilty dying for the guilty. So to deal with guilt, we have to continually preach the gospel to ourselves. Those whom we disciple, how do we help them, help them to deal with guilt? Preach the gospel to them. And as you believe the gospel, you learn to live in the freedom that already belongs to us in Christ. See, here's the truth that remains forever. God has not dealt with us according to our sins, what they deserve. But he has dealt with Christ <laughs> according to what we deserve. God has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. And that's found, by the way, in Psalm 103, 10. What is the first building block for drawing near? I mean, uh, for community, excuse me. The first building block for community, draw near. Well, how do we draw near? We draw near with, with a true heart, with confident faith, with a clean conscience. The first two, uh, we're required to meet that, those conditions, a true heart, confident faith. And God has given us everything we need to meet those conditions. The last two, Christ has already taken care of for us, a clean conscience. And then we see in verse 22, a clean body. <laughs> Notice the text again. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to notice here the two clauses, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, the two those two clauses are parallel. And both make a general connection between Christ's work and the fulfillment of Ezekiel, I refer to again, 36, 25 through 26. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Therefore, the sprinkling of, uh, of the heart and the washing of the body with pure water express the same thought. The effective 
power of the death of Jesus has brought about that, that is brought about by the eternal spirit of God produces a clean heart in every single believer. He continues his use of Old Testament washing imagery in connection with the purification rites found in the Pentateuch that we saw in Hebrews 9 in order to communicate that the work of Christ has prepared believers to enter the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? The work of Christ has prepared all believers to enter into the presence of God. That, that word washed is also in the perfect tense, indicating it to as a requirement that has already been met. He speaks of the Levitical ceremonies that prepared priests for service and both uh, uh, washed and sprinkled are symbolic of the process whereby they were sprinkled with the sacrificial blood and thoroughly washed before ministering to others. Now remember this, the priests had to repeat their cleansing annually, annually on the Day of Atonement. But we have been washed. We have been sprinkled clean. And we now have permanent and direct access to God through Christ because we have been thoroughly cleansed by him. Calvin said this when he commented on this text. He said the meaning is that we are partakers of Christ if we come to him sanctified in body and soul. You remember a great illustration of what we see here in Hebrews is found in John 13. Jesus washing the dirty, stinking feet of his uh, disciples. And Peter, let's, let's turn there in John 13. Let's see what Peter said. Peter, because we're so much like him, he helps us a lot in our thinking because we think the same way sometimes. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well, let's back up. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Oh, how spiritual, right? Jesus answered him, what I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, referring, of course, to Judas, who would betray him. We have been made clean. The righteousness of Christ has been accredited, counted, imputed to us. 
the atoning work of Christ is so complete that it continues to cleanse us. Listen to John, 1 John 1, 6 and 7. And we say we ha that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, is, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is power in the blood of the Lamb of God. There's no sin that God will not wash away when we come to him in faith, repentance. There is no sin that God will not wash away when we come to him in faith and repentance. One more time. There is no sin that God will not wash away when we come to him in faith and repentance. Come to him by faith means to relinquish all trust in self, realizing there's no other hope for forgiveness except in Christ alone. That's what God requires. Listen to Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to the, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. We don't want that, do we? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. When this empty-handed faith exists, complete cleansing becomes reality. What's the first building block for community? Drawing near. We draw near with a true heart. That's our responsibility. Confident faith, that's our responsibility as well. A clean conscience, Christ has already taken care of that. And a clean body, Christ has already taken care of that. And because Christ has taken care of the latter two, we know that we have his enablement to meet the condition of the first two. So that's the first building block, drawing near. I want to give you one more here in verse 23, and then we'll uh, answer any questions that you may have. And I hope you're seeing that when we come together, we need to come together with this purpose in mind, with this understanding the second building block, holding fast in hope. Now handle verse 23 and I'll be done. Holding fast in hope. Notice what the word of God says here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is Faithful. Now, if I were you, I wouldn't get up from my computer right now. You need this last verse. You need to hear this second building block. Don't miss it. The verb translated hold fast means to hold fast, to possess. Believers. What believers? Believers who 
have a true heart, full assurance of faith, a clean conscience, clean body, <laughs> who have been truly born again. Believers ought to have a firm grip by faith on the confession of our hope. Now, that point is uh, made repeatedly in this letter. Walk with me for a moment. Chap go back to chapter 3, verse number 6. Chapter 3, verse number 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. For we have come to share in Christ. If we indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, <laughs> we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, back to chapter 10, verse 23. Let me read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Holding fast the confession of our hope is evidence, is the result of, is the fruit of the work of Christ in our hearts. Follow me. Hope in Hebrews describes the objective content of hope rather than the act of hoping. It relates both to the present and future salvation. The hope that our text commends here in verse 23 is a conscious reference back to the writer's statement in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Let's go back there. Chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. In verse 19, we read these words. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, <laughs> a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, Verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we see then the hope that we have is grounded in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, enthronement, and intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is actually anchored at the right hand of God. It is so substantial and real that it is called an anchor. Follow me. No ancient or modern sailor who knows what can happen during an ocean voyage would go to sea in a ship that carried no anchor. Every sailor knows that situations might arise when the hope of the ship and all her company will depend not on the captain, not on the crew, not on the engines, not on the compass, not on the rudder, but on the anchor. When all else fails, they know there's hope in the anchor. <laughs> oh, Christ. And his work is our anchor. Therefore, he can never fail. Therefore, we have a true and sure hope. Christ is the content of our hope. Maybe the best commentary on this text is what the Lord revealed in 1 Peter 1, 3 the hope to which we have been born through God's sovereign grace uh, lives on, on the promise of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Indeed, by the promise of God, our inheritance is kept for us, and we are kept for our inheritance. Wow. F.F. Bruce said this. He said, our, our hope is based on the unfailing promise of God. Why should we not cherish it confidently and confess it boldly? Will you notice the manner in which we hold fast? Hold fast, the confession of our hope without wavering. I've got to finish this up. Without wavering. The word, the word uh, translated without wavering means without leaning or vacillating. <laughs> Therefore, it means to be firm, solid, unwavering, resolute, no bending. That's sad, but many times we do not live our lives confidently and confess our hope boldly. There's an account in Luther's life that speaks, speaks to this. Luther's wife, Catherine, helped the great reformer remember God's promises. On one occasion, when Luther was despondent in the midst of the battle for reforming the church, his depression so gripped him that he was solid and non-communicative. Katie, his wife, put on the black of mourning and walked about until her depressed husband noticed. Katie, he asked, who died? She replied, God died. 
Receiving from Martin a short reply, Caden responded to, to the effect, well, you are acting as if God died. Luther was jolted, and his sagging faith was renewed. We have no reason to waver. Look at the end of the verse. For he who promised is faithful. The basis for maintaining this confession of hope without wavering is God's faithfulness. He does what he has promised. His faithfulness is well attested in both Old and New Testament. His complete reliability comes to expression here in the designation of him as the one who promised. What's the basis of our hope? The promises of God. My goodness. These pledges are utterly reliable, all of his promises. Why? Because it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. God's faithfulness in his in fulfilling his promise, like the inauguration of the new covenant, chapter 8, verse 6, assures all believers that God will keep all of his promises. All of them. He who promised is faithful, reliable, trustworthy. He can be no other because he cannot lie. He is the God of truth. So when we come together for corporate worship and fellowship, we agree on the source of our hope, Jesus Christ. We have to do this without wavering because he who promised is faithful. What are we seeing this evening? Well, we've started to look at the building blocks of community. The first one is drawing near in worship. We draw near with a true heart. We draw near with confident faith. We draw near with a clean conscience that's been accomplished by Christ, a clean body wash that's been accomplished by Christ. What's the second building block for community? Holding fast in hope. Holding fast in hope. Our hope is in Christ and his work alone. By faith, we have a firm grip on our hope. And there's no reason to waver. No reason to waver because it's, it's grounded in the person and work of Christ already accomplished. It is no reason to, 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 to waver because he who promised is always faithful and cannot lie. And when we come together, we're standing on those building blocks. 
When we come back together, let's come back together with that understanding and that purpose in mind, and let's live that out until we come back together. I think I have some questions here. I have two questions. Two questions here. Remember, now's a good time to text me questions that I, I, I am uh, finishing up with the exception of answering questions. Number one, first question, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, was he teaching that just by being in the world, and still growing in our sanctification, that we must value his provision for acknowledging and confessing our sins, that we must value his provision. A absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is a, definitely a thought that we can glean from that because we see that thought, you know, for example, in 1 John uh, 1 and 9, uh, I think we heard that thought rising from the preaching of um, uh, Elder Eves on Sunday when he mentioned uh, the, uh, the progressiveness of our sanctification. And sanctification does not happen apart from God's grace. And I would argue the, 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 the more we are repenting daily, the more we are uh, evaluating our lives uh, through the lenses of Holy Scripture, I would argue the more we will value the person and work of Jesus Christ. Elder Eve's ended Sunday challenging us to think about the cost, the cost. So yes, I think you're definitely on the, on the right track there, definitely. The second question, since it wasn't a sin of unbelief, was it the weights and the sins? Okay, well, I mean, let me... Let me reread re this, okay? Since it wasn't a sin of unbelief, was it the weights and the sins that so easily beset us? I'm assuming uh, your reference is to uh, Hebrews 12. Of course, it's my assumption. If it's not, please uh, let me know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which so closely, which clings, excuse me, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, I'm not completely understanding the question. Second part of the first question. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's the second part of the first question that I just uh, answered. But uh, 
as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, I, I make reference to Elder E's message on Sunday. He ended with no, no, no. No to what? No to this. Shall we continue in sin? No. Sanctification is progressive. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit in our lives. And all who are brought to faith in Christ will grow in that grace, will progress in sanctification, will have a deep desire, a growing desire and longing to be like Christ. Because that's God's work. And, and the fruit of his work is the fact that we'll draw near with true hearts. And we'll draw near in full assurance of faith in the person and work of Christ. Because he's dealt with the guilt. He's washed us and cleansed us and given us his righteousness. And that work, just like the work of Christ on the cross, cannot fail. The work of Christ in us cannot and will not fail. So then, if we have more questions, please feel free. Uh, I'll give a few moments. There are any more questions? If not, then let us go to the Lord um, in prayer and ask for the grace to embrace and apply and live out His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Once again, you have blessed us with your word. Thank you. As we think more and more about this wonderful text, about the basis of community, about the building blocks of community, I pray, Heavenly Father, for the Spirit to work in our hearts, applying your word to our hearts so that we long for what you long for, so that we desire what you desire, so that we obey what you said, so that we live out our theology, we live out our truth, so that we live Christ-centered lives. And when we go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to others, Heavenly Father, they will note that we've been with Jesus. Work in us, Heavenly Father, both to will and to do for your good pleasure so that we may indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as my 
my friend, Pastor Tony Wallace, said, when we come back together, it ought to be like Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.